As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Chris Evans is to host the new Top Gear. Our pundits discuss the deal and what changes we can expect to the BBC's long-running car show. We speak to the director of Radio Indie, Falling Tree, about releasing their archive online and ask why don't more indies do that. Uh, Plus, Rupert makes way for James, stepping down as executive from 21st Century Fox. Apple aims to reinvent news and the Sunday Times feels the wrath of Glenn Greenwald. That's all coming up on today's media podcast. And we're here, as ever, at the Hospital Club. It's a beautiful, sunny day, and yet, despite the fact there are roof terraces where people are drinking cocktails in the sunshine, right now we are in a dark part of a dark room inside. Uh, What light from yonder window? It is Maria Williams, radio executive and founder of Sound Women. Hello, Maria. Hello. Hello. You're cheering up the gloom uh, and also making his debut on the media podcast, Damien Collier, the founder of Viral Spiral. Hello. Hi. Okay, let's go through each of you in turn because, Maria, you seem to be one of these people, like lots of people I know in radio, actually, who seem to have about 10 part-time jobs going on at once. So there's Sound Women, Comic Relief. That's quite seasonal, obviously. What are you up to now? Uh, So, well, I'm still recovering from Comic Relief and going on on a 24-hour through-the-night bender with Dermot O'Leary. So at my advanced years, you, you need a few weeks sleep to catch up on that. But no, I'm doing I'm doing a lot of work with Sam Women at the moment. Uh, we are uh, refocusing ourselves. We're three years old. We've got a big kind of away day next week to set our goals for the next kind of year. So actually really exciting times for us. And then, of course, I'm doing lots of very interesting, very secretive commercial stuff that I would love to tell you all about, but I have signed non-disclosure agreements and I'm not allowed to say anything. <laughs> Okay, thank you for that partial clarification. Uh, Damien, Viral Spiral, now part of Rightster, uh, is a company that you set up. Uh, Explain to us briefly what it is for people who haven't heard the term before. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So um, Viral Spiral's whole goal in life is to connect 
brands, agencies, studios, networks with trending content, social media content, um, social influencers to basically help those brands, agencies, producers leverage the power of what is going viral and social influencers to promote their brand. Okay, so to decode that even further, basically you take hits off the internet and you sell them to advertisers, really? And talent, yeah, content and talent. Okay, so give us an example of like a big viral hit that you've taken and, and synergised with a brand that we might have Absolutely, well probably the most the, the most viral video on YouTube is Charlie Bit My Finger, mm. um, which was actually the first video video that we signed for management under Viral Spiral. To date, it's just pushing probably a billion views in total on, on YouTube. It's, How do you uh, monetize that? Because that wasn't made with a brand. That was an extant piece of content of a child doing a thing that was quite spontaneous. It's monetized anyway on the YouTube platform by YouTube's AdSense program, the pop-ups that you see in the pre-rolls. But as I said, Viral Spiral aligns content with brands. So content that uh, brands that are interested in working with the family. So we remade the video with Delta. We've worked with Coca-Cola, Samsung, Sony on, on a range of different campaigns where we've aligned uh, social video and trending video. Uh, Maria, I mean, in the world that you're in now, do you actually stumble across viral stars? Because it's one of these things that gets talked about a lot and unquestionably, as Damien says, there's money in it. Yeah. Uh, but actually, do you think the public walking around on the street underneath us right now are talking about things they saw on YouTube or things they saw on BBC One? I think they're talking about things they saw on YouTube. We did a documentary for Radio 4 about exactly those big viral YouTube stars um, just a few months ago. And I asked my 14-year-old daughter at the time, I thought, OK, do a little bit of research. You know, OK, then, who's, who's big on your radar? Because I know she watches them. Like, I had a list of 50 names with detailed where they lived, what they were good at. You know, she is on that computer, probably the worst parent in the world. She's on it all the time. And she started vlogging herself, all her mates are vlogging herself. So I think it is a particular section of the public. You know, I'm very sure that, you know, my mum isn't doing the same thing. But for that generation, and this is exactly the challenge that Ben Cooper and Radio 1 have at the moment, that's who's driving their lives. That's who they're talking about. It's It's totally. And I think what Ben's done is really smart, you know, in getting Dan and Phil onto Radio 1, in taking Sprinkle of Glitter on, all those big stars, and some, you know, new up-and-coming stars, and just really welding them into the fabric so that people like the 14-year-olds at my daughter's school, they will come across radio by accident, because they don't listen to radio, any of them. I'm sorry to break this to you, Ollie, they don't listen to radio. It's okay, I've, I've got a finger in oh, the internet deep as well. Breaths. Um, and, and that's how they're finding radio. And I remember her coming down and going, Mum, Mum, I found so it's really exciting, Dan and Phil, you know, and me pausing and taking a deep breath, because I'd been saying, you know, and my kind of, uh, you know, really, would you like to try some cultural radio, you know, this time. Couldn't get her to bother, couldn't get her to tune in, and suddenly found them on the internet, discovered they were cool with her friends, boom, she's a listener. Okay, well, none of us are teenagers so let's move on to talking about something we can definitely relate to and that is uh, 90s telly remember that ugly bloke fat lookalike it is all kicked off again didn't it last week because uh, tfi friday came back on channel four of course but it's been an even busier week this week for chris evans because just a couple of days after that he was announced as the new host of top gear Both of these events, the uh, relaunch of TFI and Chris at Top Gear, have been warmly received by the public and commentariat for now. Uh, There's bound to be an eventual backlash, though, isn't there? Although he's got a £5 million deal from the BBC, apparently, to help soften the blow. Uh, Maria, do you think this was a canny choice by the BBC? Do you think this was good timing for them announcing it now? Get the TFI Friday thing out of the way and then, boom, Chris Evans is to host Top Gear. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the Top Gear timing was 
you know, it just went at its own pace. I thought I'd listen to Chris talking about it and he, it really struck me how respectful everybody was actually, that he wouldn't enter negotiations until the BBC had done the deal or not done the deal with May and Hammond. Everyone seems to have behaved after the initial event where nobody was very well behaved. They really seem to have done it, I think, very well, very smoothly. I think Chris is a really smart choice. He clearly loves cars. He's great on telly. He will appeal to that demographic. The whole kind of ethos of Top Gear is it's on the edge to hell with health and safety, you know, and that's what Chris does so well. He's really brilliant at taking those kind of maverick moments and running with them and being seen as, I don't know how closely scripted it is, he has this brilliant ability to make everything look like he's just thought of it and it's just off the cuff, although I know he works so hard at it you know there's a lot of skill in making it look that simple and do you think Damien that actually it would be a smart move to just sort of slot him in in the Clarkson role I mean as as Miria suggests there's some synergy between their approach I guess to how they do that kind of show something that feels spontaneous or do you think actually bearing in mind Top Gear was a reboot anyway Mm. of the old show with Tiff Needle and Quentin Wilson and all the rest of it should they actually reboot it again uh, well, it's a good question. I think, you know, the most important thing is that they let Chris go in the direction that's most natural to him because, you know, he, he has built up this, this personality and um, if it feels forced, they're going to lose a very loyal audience and I think that's the risk. Um, I think it's a great move for Chris as well. You know, it, it, Chris has had, you know, gr- great success here in the UK and maybe in some overseas territories, but Top Gear, I think, is viewed in something like 200 countries, mm. um, and including in the US, and this might just give him the, the, the sort of profile internationally and domestically in the States that, that could take him to the next level. Well, now, here's something that I haven't heard discussed yet, which is the question of, I guess, for want of a better phrase, class. I think something that Hammond and May and Clarkson resonate with US audiences with is the fact that they all talk a bit like they went to public school and they have that kind of joshing with each other, uh, which Americans believe everyone in England has. Uh, Chris Evans doesn't have that. He's got a northern accent. It's very soft uh, to people who actually live in England. You don't really notice it anymore or register it, but he Mm. does. He's clearly from a different background. Do you think actually he'll be embraced by an international audience in quite the same way? He doesn't seem to me to be quite so quintessentially British as they imagined, I think, that Clarkson was. I think he absolutely will. I mean, just look at James Corden and, and the success that he's now having over in the States. And he, you know, he's, he hardly speaks with, uh, with a plum in his mouth. So I, I think, you know, Chris is sort of charismatic and I think he's English. And I think often that's all you need to, to break in, in the States. So uh, I think he will. Well, however good he is, he is a man. Uh, And one thing that's come up is whether there should be a female co-host. BBC Two controller Kim Schillinglaw uh, said there will be no gender diktats at Top Gear versus what Chris Evans himself actually said when he was first interviewed about it, which was 100% there'll be a female co-host. Although he's rolling back a little bit from that now and I think he said there'll definitely be a woman involved in some way but she might not be a co-host. There should be a woman involved though, shouldn't there? Well, I would love it if a woman was on the kind of panel, of course, Um, but I think it has to be the right person for the job, and I think that's what Kim was saying. One of the things we know about the Top Gear audience more than anyone else is if you impose somebody on them, they don't think is worthy, they don't like, they will just walk. You know, it's a very fragile kind of trust they have in, in, in that sense. Sue Perkins, when she was mooted, completely, you know, unreliably, as a, one of the rumoured replacements for Clarkson, got death threats, like really proper, trolling, nasty, going to do bad things to you 
death threats. So I think they have to tread very carefully and get the right person for the job. I but I would also Kidd, say, well, I would say that Jodie Kidd would be one of the best people yeah, for the job. I agree. And one of the other things that that Chris has said, and I love the fact that he's really come out and been involved in this actually, because mm. when he was on Radio One, he had Holly Samos as part of the team. You know, he's always had women in teams around him. Yeah, it, it, it makes it in a very sexually objectified way, though. Well, she was Holly Hotlips. But that's that's how many years ago, you know. And I think he's a granddad now. You know, he's much older, yeah, much. Sure. He's wiser. got Moira on Radio Two, and let's, uh, that's not such a sexually too. objectified role. But what I was going to say that he'd said is when he goes to Goodwood, and I'm not a car fan actually, so I I don't kind of go to this. But I have a cousin who goes to Formula One like all over the world, so I know there are women, in, you know, interested and knowledgeable about racing. And Chris said when he goes to women, he sees women there all the time in the crowds, and he said, you know, he felt they should be represented. And at Sam Women, that's our argument the entire time. It's not just about having a body. So if somebody says, oh, have you got a female presenter? Somebody goes, yes. It's all the, the wealth of experience and life experience that that woman brings to the role. They might just ask a different question, you know, that, than a bloke would ask. If you never find... You know, Angela Rippon was involved in the beginning. You know, that, that show has a history of having women involved. So it sounds to me like you are saying, yes, there should be a woman presenter. Well, I'm saying I, that. I don't want to kind of come out and say, you have to have a woman. What I'm saying is you have to have the right person for the job. You have to represent all audiences, male and female. And so it, it just makes sense. So, okay, so but, but as soon as, but it, as, it's soon inconceivable as somebody then says, for three men to present it and for it to represent 50% of the audience, in your view. So you are saying there has to be a woman. Uh, I would like there to be a woman, but I think as, I just think this is one of the difficulties we have. As soon as you say there has to be a woman, or any woman who gets there, it's tokenism. She's not there because she's good enough. She's there because there has to be a woman. Um, and all I would say is it's blindingly obvious that there are brilliant women out there, Jodie Kidd just being one example. Um, but I think, I think you know you have to find the right woman in the same way that you wouldn't just put any bloke on it. It has to be a woman who really knows her motors because, you know... Uh, I heard this great line the other day that was being average is a male privilege which is going to sound me like hot feminista <laughs> but you know you do have to be twice as good often if you're a woman in this business so she's going to have to really know her stuff but she's also going to have to be part of a gang because the culture of Top Gear is mates talking now they don't have to be three blokes you know but they have to be mates and I think that's one of the other things actually that has been very much part of Chris's career over the years you know just watching a bit of TFI Friday with Will McDonald he has friends you know, whether they start off as friends or become friends. And, and you can't fake that. And I think that's why there was so much authenticity about Clarkson and May and Hammond, because they were mates. And let's, so let's just pick up that, that TFI Friday point, because, uh, you know, we've obviously focused on Top Gear because that's the big news. But since our last episode, we had that revival of TFI Friday on Channel 4, rated really well, better mm. than anything else in that slot for years. Mm. Uh, and immediately people are saying, well, let's bring it back. It seems to me that what they should be saying is, let's create a spontaneous, fun live show with I bands of the agree. moment that audiences would relate yeah. to. They're not really saying, let's bring Chris Evans back from the 90s, are they? No, you need a version of Chris Evans from yeah. the 90s, somebody to take it forward. So why hasn't that happened, Damien? Why don't we have a show like that on telly now? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, when you think back to that period of time and you had The Word, you had all those other similar shows, it was a great era for TV and we don't really have it. I think it's absolutely something they should consider bringing back. Whether it should be Chris Evans or someone else, there's plenty of great talent out there. Well, and again, it's, I suspect that commissioners listening to this would say, well, the reason we wouldn't do that is what you were talking about at the beginning. You know, young people are watching YouTube, YouTube and they're watching clips on, on 
their iPads and they won't watch a, a two-hour-long telly show on a Friday night. But, but surely that's the kind of content that would work really well in five-minute clips nowadays. In fact, they even yes. said that on TFI Friday, didn't they? He said that to yes, the guy who came back, true. said, oh, it's not on YouTube. Well, it will be now. And also the thing that was great about TFI Friday was that you fell in from the pub and, you know, there was something that you could be part of. And there isn't very many TV that has that radio sense of kind of, you know, live, unravelling, could go anywhere. Well, you were still in the pub, basically. Yeah, well, you were. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is part of that live experience that is very rare on TV. You get it on general election nights, you know, where everyone is sat there because something is happening and you want to be part of it. And you're tweeting along. Yes. So actually, virally, Compliment stuff is media. happening. Yeah. It, and also, you know, whilst pe- you know, people are consuming content on YouTube, they are consuming content on Netflix, you know, there's very much this second screen experience that's going on where people do actually still have TV on up in their living room whilst they're flicking through Facebook or they're watching YouTube or, you know, we become a sort of a, a world of, of distraction really now. It doesn't mean that these shows wouldn't succeed on TV either in the background or in the foreground, depending on what you're focusing on. Okay, and from anarchy, rock and roll, comedy TV, makes sense to segue only on this show into Conservative MP Jesse Norman, uh, who has been chosen as the new chair of the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee. Uh, The committee scrutinises a broad range of issues, from grassroots investment in football to BBC charter renewal. Its last chair, John Whittingdale, is now the Culture Secretary. Uh, Maria, what do we know about Jesse Norman? We knew nothing about Jesse Norman until about an hour ago when I Googled it. Um, so he's a, he's a West Midlands MP, and that's what I think is really interesting, actually. And it seems to me that actually all the candidates for the job had quite similar views, except he said he wanted to get more money, uh, particularly more money from the BBC, invested back in the West Midlands. And it's interesting because I started off at Pebble Mill many years ago, and you know we've seen Salford and Media City boom we've seen uh, Scotland boom and I'm not I've been back to Birmingham for a long time but the people I know who have been going to the BBC in a in a production sense you know have been from the BBC Academy who do training and from HR mm. so actually I'd love it to become a really massive kind of hothouse of creative talent but I'm also very aware that I'm now about to get lots of emails probably from people working in Birmingham doing amazing stuff well but, actually, you know the, the it Birmingham should be Post, bigger than it is the Birmingham Post has been campaigning for more investment from the BBC and they've done the research they claim that 90% of the revenue collected from license fees in the region is spent elsewhere yeah Um, I don't know if that's a troubling statistic or not I mean if you weighted the whole country by population most people live in London don't they and probably we don't see the equivalent amount actually spent in the city anymore because it's regionalized but you know I kind of I love being in Birmingham um, and I you know I was working at Radio 4 Features there you'd kind of pop down and Alan Titchmarsh would be doing some show from Pebble Mill and I had to come to London because there was nowhere really for me to go there you know it was a very small operation it felt very small at the time I was really excited about music I wanted to work at Radio 1 and and you know suddenly somebody really wants to stay and work in a city and earn money for that city and buy a house in that city and be part of it has to come down to London and I wonder how many other people are kind of sat here listening to this podcast working in London you know trying very hard to afford their rent or afford a flat whatever and actually you know if there had been opportunities 
more opportunities, better opportunities, bigger opportunities around the country would have been happy to either stay or move there. So I've always been a really big fan of Salford. I think it's a great idea. I think it's important that that money gets shared around. And I, I'm, you know, I would love to see Birmingham become, and Bristol actually, become really key parts of that as well. I know there are bases, but, but become bigger. And Damien, is this a slightly old conversation in the sense that your clients, uh, they're not having a conversation about what city they leave, but about whether they need to leave their own house uh, to have a media career? Yeah, well, I guess that's the, that is the fascinating thing about YouTube and and digital media that you can record from home um I, you know i, I think uh what we what we've been talking about with jesse is is a separate topic which is if if the middle you're on uh, first name spending, terms yeah now. me and jess yeah we, we've known each other a lifetime um <laughs> feels like um you know if, if money is being spent in a certain region and 90 percent is going elsewhere you can understand why the residents might feel aggrieved can I say that he does play in the parliamentary jazz band, a cross-party jazz band, which for me actually is a big red flag. Yeah. Uh, but for other people, maybe a positive. Yeah. Uh, he basically does that so flag. that people like you can say that on shows like this. <laughs> okay. And you'd be like, OK, yeah, he's quite cool, actually. He's quite uh, cool, Jesse Norman. Yeah, he's quite cool. <laughs> uh, before we go to the break, it's been over 10 years since the terms of trade were rewritten uh, between the BBC and independent radio companies. While some have sold programmes made for the corporation overseas, none, not a single Indie has released their back catalogue online until now. The company is called Falling Tree. They make shows like Shortcuts with Josie Long on Radio 4. And our producer Matt Hill was taken through their archives by their director, Alan Hall. It's 300 programmes. Most of them are half hours or 45 minutes, I guess. Katie Burningham's Heel Toe Step Together, which won the Sony in 2011. Come on, let's have a little dance. <laughs> Do you think you can with your knee? If I can't, I'll sit down. Are you sure, Bob, you're really limping badly? No, I know I'm limping, but once I get hold of somebody and could grab hold of them, I'm all right. Um. <laughs> Programmes made by uh, some of our great freelance contributing producers like Pike Malinowski and Nina Perry. If my thoughts were little clouds passing over clear summer sky, Harvey Keitel was like a low, dense thunderstorm lurking at every edge of the horizon. It's slightly unusual things like the, the programme of ours that won a news feature, Sony, uh, Child of Ardoin. It's three streets of houses up in flames. My father and other men were running about trying to get hose pipes. The smoke and the flames and the dust and the ice, it's just all over you. The point of doing it is that radio is a medium that's written in air. So it's never captured and held anywhere. It sort of goes out and is lost. That's one thing. And the other is that it's also a medium that really has very little sense of memory. I remember Mark Berman at the BBC saying this some years ago, which is kind of why you end up with the same programmes about bees being made every 18 months or whatever. And in another sense, it's about changing our relationship to the listener. It's about saying, look, listener, perhaps through your more recent experiences of consuming podcasts... There's an expectation not not only that will you find a single program, but you'll find a whole series of programs, and you'll be able to binge on them. You'll be able to consume the whole of serial, or you'll be able to go back through endless episodes of Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, or whatever it happens to be. And we're offering something similar. We're saying yes, there isn't just the latest edition of Between the Years that we produced, but you can also go and find anything else produced by Pike Malinowski or. Rachel Hooper or Eleanor McDowell or myself. Why don't you think 
more Indians have done this? It took a certain amount of time and, and it took a certain vision as well. The vision for this really was Eleanor McDowell's. Perhaps it comes down to the nature of what we've done, the sorts of programmes that we make, which tend to be sort of bespoke crafted features that can exist out of time. They're not they're not topical. It's not like we're running a, a business show or a sports programme or something that would date. I was so excited when I found out that in Sweden there's an extra form of saying I love you that you only use when you're really sure. You'd say I love you, but then for this you would say I really love you. We're in a situation now which is dominated by American podcasts. Rightly or wrongly, that's the perception. Before that, there wasn't really anything very much. Within the UK, Pierce Plough, right? Before him, there was the Canadian Glenn Gould, <laughs> possibly Charles Parker. And then, and then you're kind of back in the early days. There's been so much else. So what we're trying to demonstrate is that our own small corner, you know, through offering up what we can, that there's a whole range of other kind of ways of doing radio, listening to it not just the experience of the last you know, six or 12 months from America. The BBC's Royal Charter is up for renewal. What do you think of the current state of the radio independent sector? Is it working with the BBC in the right way? Uh, the mechanics of the commissioning process could be, can be debated endlessly. Are there too many independent companies? Are there too few slots, too many slots? Should there be more repeats? Should material be available in different ways? I think it should. Should BBC Radio as an institution perhaps be more conscious of its potential younger audience? I think I mean, they make such efforts, well, they appear to make such efforts to get to younger listeners, but then these younger listeners have, have suddenly appeared listening, doing something else and listening to other things. And, and what we find, you know, by having our own company archive on you know, a handheld device like the one I'm holding, means that we're instantly reaching people who wouldn't necessarily turn on Radio 4. The American experience suggests recently that maybe if your brand, your programme is strong enough, you don't need a station. 99% Invisible prove that. And it could well be that we see some of those established public radio programmes from the States sort of loosening their ties to stations and sort of existing independently. That won't happen here in the same way in the UK because the conditions are different and the landscape is different and the model is different, but it will probably begin to happen. I was thinking of something I, I used to work on, mixing it on Radio 3 that was decommissioned after 16 years and then existed on Resonance. For example, it sort of migrated to Resonance. Or uh, our next move is to launch a music podcast, which is quite well developed as a, as a format and that will have very little to do, or nothing really, to do with the BBC or, or traditional means of dissemination. It's going to exist in this new sphere. And that's made independently by you? That's, that's made and funded by us somehow. That was Alan Hall speaking to Matt Hill, and you can hear their archive at fallingtree.co.uk. Uh, Maria, why do you think other 
Radio Indies aren't really taking advantage of the terms of trade in this way, putting their archive up online. I, I would flip it a bit, actually, and ask, why would they? And I think, you know, I'm a big fan of Falling Tree. I, I think Alan's an amazing programme maker. And, it's, I mean, as a listener, I think it's a fabulous thing to do, to, for that to be up there. Um, and I completely agree that radio producers should be more celebrated. There is definitely not enough love and applause for radio producers in the world. But I think it suits Falling Tree because they tend to make beautifully crafted people documentaries. So the rights issues around that aren't that great. You know, they're people who are happy to be on air. They're quite small and perfectly formed. If you're a big indie like something else or Wise Buddha where you make music programmes, you make hours of stuff, you know, big programmes, I think there's less of a reason to do it. What you have to look at is most indies are basically, you know, trying to survive, trying to thrive in austerity Britain. You know, they're trying to keep businesses going and put money they make back into the business. So a lot of indies will have, uh, there'll be resale around their Documentary. So, for example, Testbed make Fry's English Delight, which is sold by BBC World. They get a cut of that. All that money goes back into the company and back into programme making. Also, I know when I was at Wise Buddha, they had a really impressive back catalogue of big-name documentaries that they tend to make for Radio 2, Re- really big names. So when somebody dies or there's a big anniversary, somewhere in their archive, they've probably got an, you know, an amazing interview with a key player, and that has value. So as soon as you put all that online... You can't sell it. But know. Damien, this is your industry, isn't it? Reselling stuff that is online and is available for free. Is that true what Maria says? You can sell it, can't you? Just because it's online and available to watch for free doesn't mean if Radio 4 want to rebroadcast it, they don't pay you for it. Once it's online and it's out there, I, th- I think what Maria is saying is absolutely correct, that there's, the value drops because it's already been exposed. I think you know what, what we've been doing with online content is repurposing it and, and sort of um, aligning it with brands and other content to give it relevance. You know, if, if you talk about um, what the radio producers should be should be considering uh, in relation to online it's it's looking at the talent that's out there looking at the breadth of the talent that's out there that's emerging on platforms like youtube and and vine um, and working with that kind of talent Time for some news in brief now, and uh, Murdoch is gone, long live Murdoch. Uh, Little-known chief executive Rupert Murdoch is standing down from 21st Century Fox, making way for (coughs) fresh blood, taking the form of Murdoch Jr., James Murdoch, remember him, uh, who takes over the role from Dad at the end of the month after board approval this week. Um, Now, I know it's very easy. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Finding your perfect home was hard. 
But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. need to be cynical, and I'm, I'm taking that bait. Uh, but Maria, actually, in fairness to Rupert Murdoch, despite the trials, and tri- literally the trials, uh, and also tribulations that he's been through, he's had an outstanding career in terms of the media, hasn't he, and what yeah, he's achieved. absolutely. I mean, if you actually look back upon his career, what do you think is his biggest success? I mean, I think, you know, he's clearly had a really long, illustrious career, Uh, you know, started many things from scratch hugely successfully. I couldn't quite believe when I was looking this up that he's 84. You know, the man has the energy of somebody half that age. And that's really, really tough act to follow whatever you think of him whatever you think of his politics you know this is a man who has i don't know is it too strong to say he has won elections you know possibly not huge political influence so i think he's been very canny about his success and strategy and that he clearly wants to keep it in the family obviously as a sound woman i'm slightly disappointed that elizabeth murdoch isn't in the mix but you know i think what she's done has been very interesting in terms of going off and creating her own identity with shine you know so successful that dad's bought it back you know she's created her own identity been autonomous and um but i but i do think i don't know it's, i'd like to have seen her in that mix i mean i think for me probably the biggest achievement in this country anyway is is sky news uh, I, I, you don't go to any news organization in the uk including the bbc newsroom without seeing sky news on in the background and it's what everyone looks to uh, and albeit you know there's the never long for wrong accusation that they just sort of bring something up even if it hasn't necessarily been entirely proven yet just because it's breaking news but there is a role for that in the british media landscape Absolutely. and they do so within Ofcom and everything and yeah. it is a great service isn't yeah. it and i think you know sky has be, be, seen such an incredible rise over the last five to ten years that's what surprised me the most i think actually because sky was always just this thing that you heard about and other people had and now it's everywhere do you think he leaves the empire though in the uk as strong as it perhaps was at its peak Uh, i mean maria made reference to the sun you know arguably winning elections you couldn't really say that it does that anymore uh, you know, the Times, yes, they've had success with the paywall, which is due to Rupert personally being very adamant about that. But still, their circulation is down on what it was at their peak. Uh, will it ever be what it was, is, I suppose, what I'm asking? Um, well, I, I think it probably will and probably still is. You know, when you look across the, the print publications, you look across Sky, you look across Fox, which is doing incredibly well with movies like The Kingsman. I think it's still an in, in, incredible empire that he's built, and I think it will go from strength to strength. And actually, something that occurs to me from what you were saying earlier about Chris Evans, uh, Maria, talking about how he's very hands-on as a producer, uh, I read Tom Bower's brilliant uh, biography of Simon Cowell uh, whilst I was on holiday. Brilliant prurient read if you're ever interested in that sort of gossip. Uh, And it's talking about how, according to his sources, Rupert Murdoch personally did the deal to retain Simon Cowell on American Idol. So important was it to the Fox Empire at the time. And I don't get the impression that James is as hands-on as that. I don't get the impression that James Murdoch has that pumping through his blood, particularly the newspaper stuff, like Dad did. Yeah, but, you know, arguably it's not a newspaper world that he's going into. You know, who knows in 10 years what our media will look like. I sit on the tube in the morning, I'm often the only person there with a paper feeling a complete Luddite. Mm. So, you know, it will be really interesting to see what he wants to do. And I think it's very difficult, actually, to have a vision, to kind of be able to say, this is where we're going, 
saying, follow me, if your 84-year-old father is still in the wings. And he is still in the wings. You know, what is he, executive co-chair? There's, there's a yeah, big title. So, you know, it, how do you then properly make decisions if your father sat behind you, King Lear style, is huffing and puffing and, you know, clearly not happy with the route you're taking? Can you do that? OK, uh, one of the big heritage Murdoch titles, the Sunday Times, bit of a backlash this week about a story they ran this Sunday about Edward Snowden. The paper said that Snowden's leaked spy files had been hacked by Russia and China. Uh, But journalist Glenn Greenwald, who Snowden originally approached with the files, said they'd only quoted anonymous sources in the UK government. He then likened it to the Iraq war, where journalists in the US took sources at their word that Saddam had nuclear weapons. Uh, And then there was a very awkward interview on CNN uh, with the journalist uh, Tom Harper, who wrote the piece for the Sunday Times, uh, in which he essentially couldn't answer any of the questions that were posed to him at all. Maria, do you think this story actually should have run at all? Yeah, well, you would hope that there was an editor uh, at the Sunday Times asking the questions that the CNN anchor did, because those weren't difficult questions. (laughs) They were questions that anybody would have asked. And um, I think it is worrying. I think it's really worrying, actually, because how do you substantiate it? There's lots of things in there that don't stack up. Edward Snowden's been really clear from the start that he didn't have any files with him uh, when he left Hong Kong. He kind of left them with the journalists, destroyed them, you know, for security reasons. So when the anchor was asking, you know, how did they get, how did the Russians and Chinese get these files? That's a really good question. And it's just not, it's just not good enough to kind of not get an answer to that that you can publish I guess if I don't know if if in that interview he was saying actually I know but I'm very sorry for state secret reasons you know I can't tell you at least you would feel like their journalistic job was done you know they were satisfied that they could substantiate the story Mm. but it just doesn't sound like anyone asked those questions although you would have thought an American organisation like CNN would be comfortable with someone pleading the Fifth Amendment yeah well, is it, is it good enough, Damien, for journalists uh, on those kind of prestige titles? I mean, it sounds awful, but you'd sort of expect someone who, who worked for a kind of a blog post uh, to be saying that. You know, well, I was given this source and that's what they said and that's all I know. You do sort of expect someone working for one of the most famous broadsheet newspapers in the world to have asked that question. Oh, absolutely. I was being tongue-in-cheek. You know, absolutely. If it was someone in a, in, a, in a court of law, that's one thing. But a journalist who's reporting on something should be able to back it up. Especially, I think, at one point in the, in the article, they say that Snowden has blood on his hands. And yet when he's asked, OK, you know, have, have any agents been moved? Has anyone been hurt because of this? He's all like, well, I don't think anyone's been hurt. We don't know whether they've been moved or not. It's just a big old soup of kind of I don't know. Um, and it just, it just feels like, I don't know, it feels like more press release than journalism. Well, talking of journalism and how we consume it, let's talk about Apple News, which was one of the announcements that came out of California this week at WWDC, hot on the heels of Facebook and their instant news offering. Maria, what is Apple News? Well, I haven't used it. I'm not sure. Is it actually well, it hasn't been released yet? yet. No, okay, no, no, that, no, no, no. I feel yeah. a bit better now. But basically, it's a curated news service where, and the news is, well, hey, human beings are going to be curating this, which I'm very pleased about because I think um, online is a wonderful, magical thing and you can do an awful lot with algorithms. You know, you can spot search terms, you can spot uh, how many shares, you know, things have got so you can see how popular things are, but you can't get nuance. And I think that's why you need human beings curating things well actually whether it's news or whether it's Zane Lowe going off to do Apple Music at some point you need somebody putting this into context selling it 
because you know news markets are really different if you're listening in Hull if you're listening in Birmingham if you're listening in you know Tennessee you need a curated service and Damien do you think that this is therefore the nail in the coffin if you like for algorithms deciding the news you know if Apple say we're going to launch services that are curated by human beings and that's the way forward is is that the end of the approach of Nick Delosio and his super algorithms sort of condensing everything into computerized bite-sized Yeah, no, I, I think the exact opposite, actually. I think this is, this is Apple launching into the news market, but I think, you know, Apple are underlying everything are a tech company, and I think it will be, unfortunately, Maria, I think it will be technology and algorithms. And, but what uh, about all these print journalists who need jobs, Damien? Yeah, no, I, I do feel sorry for those guys, but um, I think, you know, the, the, the future is, um, it, unfortunately, technology and technology is moving at such a rapid pace and and algorithms can be developed around you know sentiment there's a lot of twitter sentiment companies popping up that inevitably feed into curation so my own view is that this is where it's starting but not where it's going to end but the evidence is that w- when it starts with an algorithm they end up evolving it into curation if you look at the the way they sell apps through the app store they still have the chart based on downloads but now they have editors picks and you know people telling you what we recommend people seem to prefer that they, they, they convert that into more cash than when they just say here's what a computer thinks you might like because you listen to Katy Perry yeah that may be the case but I think you know as you know computers get smarter and inform learning gets more developed I think um, the service is going to be uh, much more automated as time goes on Okay, there's more on all of the uh, Apple announcements in the current edition of the Guardian's Tech Weekly podcast, which is presented by one Ollie Mann. Uh, Well worth a listen, I say, completely impartially. Uh, Let's move on to talk about Richard Desmond. I think we should. I think every every show, if we're going to end with a new story, should end with uh, with Richard Desmond talking very, very frankly uh, to the BBC this week. In the interview uh, on the media show with Steve Hewlett, another podcast worth downloading, uh, the owner of The Express and The Daily Star and OK uh, audibly bristled at his magazine Asian Babes being called pornography uh, and stuck to his guns in backing UKIP in the general election. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I didn't think... I've heard Steve Hewlett give tougher grillings yes, than that. Actually. Not as tough as you might expect, no, but I suppose was he was, nice he was impressed to have Richard Desmond on the show. Well, weren't we all? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think if you've got him on... I mean, it was a book plug. It was a tough old book plug, but it was a book plug. But there was interesting stuff in there. Uh, there were some lines. I think there was one, ethical is not a concept I recognise, I thought was an interesting line. It's very rare that you get him talking about his career in that way. So it was, it was an interesting insight. And defending the coverage of the Daily Express towards the McCanns, despite having lost a court case on that basis. Yes, there was a bit of, oh, well, there's a thousand people working there and uh, the editor decides that. And that they thanked him, apparently. Yeah, that they wanted which... the press coverage. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, obviously, I don't know what to believe. Only the people involved know what to believe. But I thought, do you know, I thought one of the other th- interesting things that came through was that, um, you know, really slightly xenophobic nature. So he didn't like Hello magazine because it was run by a Spanish guy and they had all the contacts and they, he thought he could do better. And actually, you know, there is a lot to be said for local contacts, so I get that. But then he doesn't like the Canadian lottery or the lottery because it's run by a Canadian like company, etc., yeah, etc. Right, yeah. And suddenly all those um, white men banned from jobs headlines in the Daily Express and £1 million donations to UKIP start to make mm. a bit more sense. It's interesting you say that because I put that, that question of is the Daily Express going to back the no campaign when we have our EU referendum? Uh, to the deputy editor of The Express, uh, Michael Booker. And he said to me, well, actually, I personally want to vote yes, but our readers have made it very, very clear to us and have over a series of years that The Daily Express is a paper for people who don't like Europe. And actually, uh, Richard Desmond said in that interview, 
I'm very glad we followed our readers. It, mm. it is probably legitimately true, isn't it, Damien, that he is actually following his readers on that. If you're an Express reader, you, you, that's probably the way you're going to well, vote. Absolutely. I don't think he has any choice. So you think it's right that the Express should back? They're probably going to be the only paper backing no. You know, it's still a commercial organisation, and unfortunately they are where they are with their readers. doesn't necessarily make it right for the rest of the country. Uh, right, before we go, there is just time for the media quiz. Uh, this week it is entitled Big Shoes to Fill. There are several people who have recently taken on new jobs in the media. But can you guess the person from their acceptance speech? Uh, Maria's looking at me <laughs> cynically. It's, it's a, okay. This is a, a much-loved feature of the show, Maria. Okay. It's, it's part of the format that you don't know what the hell is going on. Buzzing with your name when you know the answer. The winner watches the first hour of the TFI Friday special, and the loser has to watch the second hour. Uh, here is quote number one. Music is my job and my passion. I can't wait for judges' houses in Oldham. Damien? Yes. This is the um, X Factor story. The Simon Cowell's picked Rita Ora to be, uh, not just Rita Ora, but one other to be the... Grimmy. The, yeah, I'm Grimmy, quoting Nick Grimshaw, Grimshaw, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, to be the um, next two members on the panel of X Factor. Yeah, what do you reckon to that, Maria? I think quite an inspiring panel, to be honest. In terms of I'm someone who used to watch the X Factor, I've gone away, they're supposed to win me back. Mm. Grimmy's not doing it for me. See, I, I'm more a Game of Thrones kind of girl. I, you know, it's brilliant for the Radio 1 Breakfast show that Grimmy's doing it. It's a great profile for them. Mm. Uh, I think the BBC must be gutted to have lost Rita Ora from The Voice. But, um, I, you know, I think the big loss there is um, O'Leary, actually. I think he's the one person who will be most missed. OK, here is quote number two. I can't think of a more exciting place in British journalism right now. Buzzing with your name when you know the answer. Who said that? Which place has the buzz, you might say? Damien. Oh. Damien. It will be Janine Gibson. Very good. Oh. Uh, uh, former US um, Guardian editor, and she's taken over as editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed UK. I she think. has, yes. And Luke Lewis is perfectly happy about it. He's going to be doing some other stuff, he says. Mm. Yeah. What do you think, Janine Gibson at BuzzFeed? Is that moving them on a league? I think it's fascinating that a Pulitzer Prize winner, basically, uh, ends up at BuzzFeed. Mm. But, I, you know, I'm a BuzzFeed fan. So, but it'll be interesting because I do associate BuzzFeed with funny cat things and, I don't know, you know, interesting nuggets, definitely, mm. but not news nuggets. And her mission, I think, mm. is to take news to BuzzFeed. Mm. No, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm feeling that, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, it's the opposite ratio to The Guardian, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, The Guardian also provides entertainment content and news, but above at BuzzFeed, whatever you say about their news coverage, it is kind of funny cat, hot yeah. guy, genocide, funny cat. That's the mix, isn't it? But that's how they built their audience. Two genocide stories. I don't know if the funny cat people are still going to stick around. Right, two questions left. So, Maria, this is all to play for. You could still get a draw out of this. Uh, Here is quote number three. This is the best thing for ten Alps in years. Who's it? Maria. Yes, Maria. Who said that? So, Sir Bob is resigning. Correct. Director. Bob Geldof. Correct. Yes. Um, The Lost Making Indie has bought factual producer Reef to help turn mm. around its fortunes. Uh, And here, finally. Quote number four, the draw is all to play for. <laughs> uh, it's a slight twist, actually, this, because it's who said this as a reason for not getting the job? Here's the quote. Oh, okay. I was told by the producers that they preferred my version. Sandy, to- oh, Maria, oh, Sandy Toxvig. I've got it all the wrong <laughs> way around, but I'm keen, I'm keen to get You are very one. keen, yeah. Oh, I love Sandy. I'll fi- I've started, so I'll finish. Yeah. Uh, I was told by the producers that they preferred my version, but the channel decided they couldn't have a woman in charge. Uh, Maria, what is the story? So it's Sandy Toxvig, um, who has left the news quiz to set up a women's equality party, which is interesting in its own right. But she's come out and said that basically 25 years ago, uh, she had a pilot for Have I Got News For You. There was her, there was Angus Dayton, and it went to him, fair enough, you know. Uh, we all, 
you know, often lose out on jobs. But she says she was told by the producers, mm. the channel said, you can't, it can't be you because you're a woman. Mm. Uh, which, you know, even though it was 25 years ago, is still a facepalm moment that that kind of stuff happens. Is it? Is it? I know we could devote a whole episode to it's this. It's good that it's out there. I'm really I've been told before that, that I can't there. present shows because I'm not a woman. Because you're a bloke? Yeah, because okay. they, they say, oh, there's too many women in the lineup at the moment or we need a woman for this. And well, I, I've got to accept that. Yes, because if you have... I was talking to somebody at our festival uh, who had been told by an American radio consultant on her radio station, uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. We've already got a female presenter. <laughs> so, you know, the okay. li- he actually right. said the listeners will get confused used yes so it may be yes you know when we reach when we reach that point when um we can't get jobs because there are too many men on a network and there's only one then you can then, then i'm allowed that argument yeah. all right fair enough uh, maria thank you very much damien collier as well Pleasure. thank you very much for joining us this week uh there was uh, it was a draw wasn't it in the end so neither yeah. of you have won congratulations <laughs> yeah never mind you yeah. both you're both winners you can find all of our previous installments and get new ones downloaded automatically straight to your phone just head to themediapodcast.com today's show is dedicated to sean wells who failed to supply a pithy line but we love him all the same. And to Nick Sage, who still has a man crush on Matt Wells. Don't we all? If there was any man who got me into media podcasting, it was him. Uh, if you would like to support the podcast and get a whole load of praise from me, go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Uh, I've been Ollie Mann. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Ollie with a Y, M-A-N-N. The producer is Matt Hill, and the media podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.